Welcome to the original and the best Power Hour with Alex Burr and Dylan Hughes, members and podcast of the Running Hook Podcast Network. Another edition of the Alex and Dylan Basketball Power Hour. In the um, in the tradition of throwing curveballs when you expect fastballs, Dylan Hughes, UCLA Bruins made the Final Four as an 11 seed. So I'll, I'll ask you, I'm coming up with this question on the fly. When's the time you over-exceeded your, the expectations someone had for you? Um, every day, because I'm doubted every day, baby, but I wake up <laughs> and I put content for the people. So every single day, man, people are like, I don't think Dylan's going to do it today. I just don't think so. I don't think he can keep it up. But I always keep up and I always fly past expectations. And that's just the life we live. So shout out to the Bruins for being the the one double digit seed that actually survived. Because, you know, it's funny. Like, it, oh, Oh, look at that team. They're so great. Like they made one or two upsets. Let's look at the final four. Okay. It's two ones and a two. It always comes back to the teams that should have been there pretty much. But, you know, every, we usually do get a team like the Bruins that sneak through. I was kind of hoping it would be Loyola Chicago. Um, that was the one that snuck in there, but you know, shout out to UCLA, man. I watched them last night and they got a fun team. They, they shoot some threes. I like the way they move the ball, so I'm pulling for them. And Johnny Juzang, their uh, their leading scorer, I think had like 29 of the 50 whatever points they had. I was yeah. like, this is the only guy that could buy a bucket for the Bruins right now. But um, I do want to say shout out, shout out Caleb Lynn and shout out Bill Walton. Um, in that order, our good friend Caleb Lynn hates Bill Walton, and the Conference of Champions is being represented by Bill Walton's alma mater. So. Shout out to Bill. Shout out to Caleb Lynn. Um, Dylan, let's go ahead and move into NBA proceedings for the week. So I totally didn't gather an injury report for the week, and I apologize. It's been a hectic week. I'm not going to reveal too much on the pod. Dylan knows what's up. But um, Dylan, before we started with our teams for the week, I wanted to ask you, because you were in a surgery on the day of the deadline, and you, you got out of surgery and you saw that the league had basically turned on its axle. And it's axis, excuse me, that's and it's axle. That's not an expression, but it's the league turned on its axis. So what's a trade deadline move that we're not going to really talk about today that you liked? Oh, man, what is a trade deadline move? You know, the Vucevic one was the one that I wasn't expecting because it made too much sense. And, you know, it's funny because last week we just talked about um, – how when we were talking about New Orleans, I was saying how I thought Wendell Carter Jr. would have been a good spot uh, for him if they if the Bulls actually wanted to move on from him. I wasn't sure if they were actually going to move on from him, but it turns out, hey, when you can get Nikola Vucevic, you do that. And again, this is something you brought up a long time ago when we talked about the Bulls and how Levine is just so good right now that they have to figure out what they want to do. They either have to trade Levine because he's too good for what they're trying to do, or they have to pair him with a star. 
So they actually bucked up, and, like, I don't think they gave up that much. I mean, they gave up Wendell Carter Jr. and a couple of these other, like, bench guys that just didn't really matter. Um, I was a little sad to see they let Gafford go. Um, And he got hurt last night, too. Pretty bad ankle sprain or something. But, yeah, I'm I'm kind of excited about that one because, again, they didn't give up that much. So, like, when you can get Vucevic for kind of just, like, a, a cheese and cracker platter, I mean, that's that's a pretty good deal. I loved what Chicago did at the trade deadline. Not just Vucevic, but also stealing Daniel Tice from the Celtics. What the yeah. fuck are the Celtics doing? <laughs> this Dylan Hughes, all right, we know that the Celtics are a team in need of depth. All right, so what do they do? They trade. I mean, let's face it. We love Tristan Thompson, but this year he has not played up to his ability. And him and Robert Williams have been by far the two best centers on the Celtics roster this year. I don't understand that at all for the Celtics, but making Tice your backup center, you have a lot of different lineup combinations now. Because I feel like Tice and Markinen can play really well together. I feel like Thad and Vooch can play well, well together. You can kind of mix and match all four of their front court guys now. And I want to see where Billy Donovan takes that because... I think Thad should probably be starting at the four and Boot should be starting at the five because basically Thad is a five on offense still. So you can kind of use him as the hub like you have been using him and then have, you know, just the rest of the guys do what they usually do, kind of make that seamless. But I really loved what Chicago did at the deadline. Um, and then let's let's talk about Kyle Lowry real quick. Were you surprised that Kyle Lowry did not get traded at the trade deadline? Yeah, I was because, man, I don't know if maybe it was just going to be too much for Philly, but Philly with Cal Lowry, I mean, that puts them right up there with Brooklyn in my mind. Like, listen, I know they're, they're, Brooklyn is adding these names, but, like, come on, we're not in 2016 anymore. Like, I don't really care that you have Blake Griffin and LaMarcus Aldridge, and I don't think Philly does either. I think they're probably actually excited about that because I would love to see Aldridge try to guard Joel and B down low or on uh, the perimeter anywhere. I would love to see him guard him anywhere. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, I was surprised and I don't know the thing about Philly is listen, I know you like Tyrese Maxey, but don't tell me that's holding you up. Please don't tell me that's it. I mean, seriously, like this team is Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, and everyone else. Like you're a championship level team. This is how you need to look at it. And I wouldn't have loved giving up Tobias Harris either because I actually think Tobias Harris, Tobias Harris has been like really, really good for them this year, especially compared to last year. So if they would have given up him in a Lowry deal, it would have been a different story. But everything else, man, and, and maybe Toronto just wasn't getting what it was liking, but I mean, he's he's going to be a free agent. So he, he either goes for nothing or you're convinced he's going to stay and you're happy with that. Um, so I don't know. I, I definitely was surprised because whether you're looking at it from Toronto's perspective or Miami or Philly, I just – I don't understand why a deal was not able to be agreed upon. Yeah. Uh, I do think that – Tybal, I think they were trying to pit the other teams against each other, right? Like they were trying to say, okay, fit, okay, Miami, 
um, Philly is offering Maxi, we want Hero now. Or they could go back to um, Philly and say, you know, I think they were kind of driving a hard bargain, which I can understand. But at the same time, I, I would have to think Lowry would be gracious enough, right, to grant the Raptors a sign and trade in the offseason. Yeah. I would have to think that the Raptors would be like, or Lowry would be gracious enough. Like, you know, after them, basically, I think Lowry and the Raptors have a, a peaceful marriage, unlike some other places in uh, the NBA. <laughs> JJ Redick. Um, what did I say that? Um, I don't really want to touch on that situation because I don't think my opinion will be very popular on it. But I think that the Raptors Lowry situation, I do think he would have swung the East, not maybe swung it all the way. But it would have opened Philly's door open a lot wider than it currently is. I think Philly, they need all the help they can get. And I just, listen, we're not Danny Green lovers on this podcast, especially you. No one's ever accused you of loving Danny Green the last couple of years. Um, Like Lowry, just in every sense of the word, is a, a better upgrade than Danny Green. Whatever marginally better defense Danny Green brings... <laughs> Lowry makes more than makes up for it on the offensive end. So I don't know for, for Miami's perspective, I can understand them not doing it because if you have to give hero up and okay, if you get Lowry for two years, I think you give hero up because I mean, you got two championship players right now and bam and Jimmy, you get a third and Lowry, then you do it. Um, but the fact, and, and they just got all a depot too. Uh, so that was another interesting move, but, and, and I guess they, you probably wouldn't have got both of them at the same time, even though they gave up nothing for all a depot, but that's an entirely different discussion. Um, but I can understand because I mean, you can be as confident as you want in someone re-signing, but this is a business baby. Like you can't, like you got to hedge your bets, you know, you can't, I mean, if you want to go all in, that's fine. But giving up Hero would be a tough move because we saw what he did last year. I mean, they got pretty damn close with essentially the same team they have now. So, and and this team, after the trade deadline, I'd say this team is better than it was last year. So, I mean, I can understand it for their perspective, but maybe, maybe they were asking for a bunch of picks from Philly or something. I don't know. But I... If I was Philly, man, I mean, that's – it's tough. And, okay, let's talk about Miami real quick, and then we'll move on to the uh, Thunder. Our teams for the week are the Thunder, Hornets, and Nuggets. But let's – because we'll talk about the Nuggets trade deadline acquisitions during the Nuggets segment, so we don't have to talk about them here. But <laughs> I really loved everything Miami did. I don't know if I love their team more, because I do think the top of the East is a lot better than when they've rolled through the East last year. Um, but they basically traded away all the guys they didn't play. <laughs> exactly. And they got better at literally every position. Like, I don't know if Trevor Reason can do it on offense anymore, but I think that dude could play power forward in the NBA till he's like 45 at this point. I think that dude's an alien. Um, he's going to come in and he's going to improve their defense. I like him. I like playing him on defense a lot more than I like playing Iguodala, frankly. Um, and they play Iguodala, obviously, but you ship out Bradley and Olenek. Olenek's the only guy of substance that actually played, but you couldn't... I mean, be, I'd rather have Bielitsa than Olenek. You know I'm a huge Bielitsa guy. I love Bielitsa. I love him on the Heat. And then 
they for on the Bielitsa trade, they basically traded KZ. Who did they trade? They didn't trade KZ Opa. They traded Chris Silva, who they didn't play, who's an intriguing young big man, but they didn't play. And then they traded Mo Harkless, who hasn't who's barely played all year. So you literally just upgraded like all the facets of your team without trading anything, and you're up Trevor Reza. Um, Bielitsa and Oladipo who aren't as good as they previously were but are better than the guys that they're replacing so I really love everything Miami did how did how did you feel about the Miami Heat trade deadline before we move on to our the Thunder yeah and the Bielitsa thing is another thing that we've been talking about for a long time it's it was so I think me and you did some manifesting here Alex this this podcast is if it doesn't get big on the substance it's going to get big on the predictions here because I mean, the Vucevic thing again. Go back, go back and listen to that first. I, I posted on. I posted it on Twitter. I don't know if you saw, but I posted it like after it happened. I did I not found it. Sleeping all that day, probably. But um, I don't but blame yeah. you. That's why I didn't think you saw it. <laughs> yeah, but the proof's in the pudding, and we talked about Bielita for even longer than that. I think uh, because again, as soon as Crowder left, they just had a glaring. Uh, hole with the four. So, I mean, Bielita and Oladipo for basically nothing that matters. I mean, again, Olenek was the re- really the only guy that played, and that's not a guy that they need out there. I mean, they're they're fine. Um, so, you know, it's it's I'm interesting to see how Oladipo fits in because I mean he's played pretty well in Houston. I still just worry about the mindset. It's like does does he think he's better than he is? That's the thing I've worried about for years with him. And when you're trying to fit someone like that into a team that just went to the finals with, again, Butler and Bam, two proven championship-level players now, it's going to be interesting to see how that works. And and it does work that, that Jimmy is so passive now. I don't think – I don't think he's going to have a problem, you know, shooting five shots a game if all is playing well. So that's one thing that's, that's good for them, but yeah, it's interesting. And the way Drogic played last year, you're probably not getting that this year. So having another dynamic guard that could, you know, be some sort of an X factor, I think is going to be big for them in the playoffs. I definitely think so this heat trade. So the old depot factor of it that we didn't talk about on our massive trade deadline pod, because I didn't really have time, like the space to give my takes. And that's not a complaint because I love doing it with uh, JD, Zach and Caleb. But so first of all, he's an expiring contract, right? Which is why you were able to get him for so cheap. And if it doesn't work, you didn't lose anything of value at all. You're so the first round pick that was swapped was basically Miami's and Brooklyn. So if Miami's pick is higher than Brooklyn's next year, which it should be, then Houston will get the um, Miami pick and then, Miami will get the Brooklyn pick. So you didn't lose a first round pick, right? That's huge. Um, you Olinick was an expiring contract as well, I believe. And then Avery Bradley just sucked this year. And I think Avery Bradley's probably done as much as it sucks to say. Yeah. But he had his time. I mean, he was good in the 2017 Celtics. The other benefit to me is moving Dragic to the bench. Dragic, I think, is better in a bench role where he can just have full autonomy of the offense and then let him run free. And you can just have Jimmy Butler run point guard on offense. He's basically been doing that for the better part of it, like since he's been in Miami. He's basically been the point guard. Him and Bam have been basically been running the offense together. So 
I think that that that'll do wonders for their rotation. The ego thing with Vic is always a question because he definitely thinks very highly of himself and always has, even before he broke out in Indiana. And I, there's nothing wrong with that, but if he's not that, then he needs to accept that he's not that. And I just, I can't say if he will, but I, I want to see the the product in Miami. He's going to, he's supposedly going to make his season debut for the heat on the day. This is being released on Thursday. He was supposed to make it tonight in Indiana, but um, he's going to dodge the Pacers fans for another, <laughs> for another year. So and let's face it, Dylan Hughes, you were you were looking forward to going to the uh, Bankers Life Field House and booing Victor Oladipo. Oh yeah, that's I just love to be to boo other human beings. I just love it, man. Who doesn't love tearing down another man's confidence? <laughs> Losers, that's who. Um, and on that note, let's go ahead and move on to our first team of the week, the Oklahoma City Thunder. And folks, um, this week. Not great. They came into the week on a two-game winning streak, and then they proceeded to lose all the games on our for us. They lost the Memphis Grizzlies one sixteen to one hundred seven, and then they got shellacked two games in a row. First by the Boston Celtics one eleven to ninety four, and then by the Dallas Mavericks one twenty seven to one hundred six. Um, Dylan, for this team, I feel like we can keep it a little shorter. So let's just get right to the big questions. The Thunder currently have a lot of potential on their roster, right? Like I see a lot of flashes from guys. Like I, I love Poku, right? And he's just barely scratching the surface of what he can do. Maladon has potential. Dort obviously has a lot of potential. Obviously SGA. We don't know what Darius Baisley is. He, we haven't seen Baisley. Shea Gilgis-Alexander is going to be out for a good while, it sounds like. Um, that is one bit of injury news that I have. He is, has a foot injury. He's going to be out for a little while. Lou Dort has, is in concussion protocol, so he's been out for a little while. He only played in the first two games of the week. He didn't play in the Mavs game. Um, this team, to me, oh, Poku is out for a health protocol, so it sounds like he got COVID. So they're going to lose tonight <laughs> um, when this is being recorded, which isn't a surprise, but... I like this team. Isaiah Roby, I like. Um, Kyluk, I like. You were probably pissed about the Diallo trade, but this team has a lot of young players that I think could contribute like in the near future. What do you think that... Okay, how would I word the question? All right. What positions do they need to fill to get back to playoff contention? And so, for example, let's just say they get the number one pick. Who are you drafting? Are you drafting the big man in Evan Mobley or are you drafting the wing in Cade Cunningham? So for the roster they currently have, I actually think Mobley would be a better fit, but I am not a draft for fit guy. And a team like the Thunder should not draft for fit. They need the the point of sucking is to get the best players. And I think I mean I know you agree and you've kind of talked me into it over the season that Cade is the best player in this draft. Um so even though like, I don't really feel confident in their young big men. I mean, Moses Brown is just a monster of a human being. Like, that dude, he looks like the biggest player in the league. I don't think he is, but he looks like it. I mean, he is just – he towers over even tall people. So, I enjoyed watching him this week. Um, but, you know, you got to go with Cade. And, like, the and the thing is with Cade, too – and the Thunder team currently is they don't really have a closer that I believe in. 
it seems like Dort somehow gets all the shots at the end of games, and he is just not a reliable enough three-point shooter for that. Um, and I think he actually may have hit one this season, but it's like you can't rely on that. Shea, again, we love Shea. We've talked about him a lot. We talked about him last week. He, he's as good as he is. He has his flaws and like getting separation on shots away from the rim is one of his big problems. So you just can't go to him at the end of games. It's going to get blocked. Like it's you teams are going to know how to defend that. And then after that, who you go into, you know, there, there's no one on that roster that you can really rely on. So getting a guy like Cade who proved like he he's interesting because one thing I noticed last year in the playoffs was Tatum was he had a lot of games where he was awful in the first half, but really good in the second half. And I noticed the same thing in Cade in the tournament. Like he, and even going back to the big 12 tournament, like these are some of the first games I'm watching the guy. And it's like, dude, he sucks. Like he, he was O of O of six this half or whatever, but then the second half he comes out and just completely makes up for it and brings the team back. So he, he seems like a guy you can really rely on down the stretch. And he's, he's just a, a really good shot creator. Um, so, I mean, if they have a chance to get him, they got to take him. Yeah. And to me, Cade kind of fills more of a natural role for this roster because Cade can be like the small forward who runs point guard. He did that in college. He was Oklahoma State's point guard, for better or worse. And Shea, as much as I love him, for our list last week, we did Shea, we did Fox, we did LaMelo, we did Sexton, we did um, Ja, or we did Trey Young, and we did, I, I don't know if I named all of them, but I'm a little bit, again, I'm a little bit out of it, but Sexton and SGA are more shooting guards than they are point guards. And yeah. both of those teams could really benefit from having the Cade Cunningham experience on their roster, but I think Evan Mobley, Dylan, I've talked myself into a team drafting him number one. And I think it would have to be a team like this or the Rockets or the Pistons, right? Like if a team jumps up to the top pick in the draft, then you take Cade Cunningham because he, because wings are harder to come by. But if you are able to take it slow, like why not draft Mobley, right? He's got a lot of ball skills for a big man, right? And he's going to play power forward and then move to center at some point. He's going to have Anthony Davis type trajectory, right? Because he's real thin right now. He's going to put on muscle. He can handle a little bit. He's very intuitive passer. Very good defensive player under the rim, right? And you're not going to... The Thunder aren't looking to win anytime soon. So I think they can. I think their roster is full of guys ready to explode. But if you are willing to wait till... um, If you're willing to wait till Mobley's year three, I think this team... I don't think it's a terrible idea taking a shot on him. I do think Cade would be better for this roster, but I think this is the kind of team that you wouldn't be terrible for taking Mobley at, especially with the perimeter talent on the Thunder, the future perimeter talent. I think that they have... I think one of these perimeter guys is going to hit, right? Like, maybe Lou Dort takes a step forward. I think Lou Dort's just going to be, like, Marcus Smart 2.0. Not 2.0, but just, like, basically redux. (laughs) The same thing. He's already kind of having the same career path. (laughs) Um, Except, no, he's actually shooting about what Marcus Smart shoots from three. So... He's basically Marcus Smart all over again. And then you have Shea. Shea, Shea Mobley pick and roll would be fascinating to watch. And you could play, if you wanted to stick with the Baisley experiment, 
you could play Baisley and Mobley together. So um, we haven't seen Baisley in a while either. I don't know when he's coming back. Let me check the injury report. He is out with a shoulder injury. So Baisley's, it feels like I haven't seen Baisley play in forever. But yeah, I want to see this Thunder team grow. And I think they're capable of great things, especially with how much draft capital they have. And if the Rockets pick falls out of the top four, they get their own and the Rockets pick. They get their own pick and the Rockets pick. So <laughs> a lot of potential there. Man, if the Rockets lose their pick, I'm telling you, what I said in the chat yesterday, Fertitta is going to be roasted. And I'm not saying roasted as in they're joking. I mean, you're going to stick a stake through his body and put him over a fire because from going to having a championship level team two years ago to what they are now is just a disaster. And listen, I mean, James Harden deserves some of the blame for that. I'm not going to act like he doesn't, but I mean, that would be, that's an interesting thing to watch, but um, I mean, yeah, I think Mobley would be a great pick too. Like I, I really liked what I saw from him. And I think, again, the fit on this roster, I think would be good. But man, it's like you talk about the perimeter guys. I just, I just can't understand the the Diallo trade. I just really can't. Like, what is the upside you're getting out of Svee, Makai Luke, and a second round pick in six years? What? How is there upside in that? There, I just don't think they wanted to pay him. I think that was the impetus for the who else Diallo they trade. They're not paying anyone else. Until that Horford contract is off the books, I can kind of understand it. Let me look at the salary. Okay, let me pull I mean, up the cleaning the glass salary cap while you while you go on. But if he was a guy that was gonna make twenty a year, and you don't feel like he deserves twenty a year, sure. But as we talked about before, he's gonna get like a Josh Richardson type of deal. Getting a wing that can create and defend and play off ball for eleven million dollars a year, or twelve or thirteen even. Sounds pretty damn good to me. And when you're not paying anyone else, even if you have Horford on the books, I mean, Horford is probably the leading earner by like 30 million. Damn near. So it's like what I just, I, that's just, and I've liked what Presti's done over the past couple of years. I mean, turning, turning Westbrook into what they've turned it into now is pretty impressive. And Paul George, but. I mean, it's just that's and I I mean, I'm definitely a little bit biased because I love Diallo so much, but it's like, come on. I, I just even with the, the money, it just doesn't make any sense to me. So the Thunder, as you know, are the kings of signing their talent to very, very small contracts. Um, so Shea Gilgis Alexander is going to be on the last year of his rookie deal next year. And outside of Horford, that is currently their biggest salary. So. You're right. I don't understand why they didn't pay Diallo. It's he's gonna make like at most eight million a year. Like he's good. I, I I'm very much on the Hamadou Diallo train with you. I'll make that very clear. But like, who's gonna go out and like try to poison pill a Hamadou Diallo contract? <laughs> like Hamadou Diallo's good, but he's not like. To be fair, a lot of the guys they poison pilled contracts for, like Jeremy Lin, weren't didn't end up being that great, or Otto Porter, or Alan Crab. Um, fun, and you those guys all had in common that they were restricted free agents signings by the Nets, except for Jeremy Lin. Um, Steve Kyluk to me is just the guy that's going to end up on a contender somewhere. They're going to sign him to like a ten million dollar a year 
restricted free agency deal because like that's the max these guys can get and then he's going to end up on a contender for you somewhere for like and you're going to get two second round picks back i don't like svi for them at all i agree like he's not he's not what they need they're not trying to win games you don't need shooting yes you should try to make your life easier on the court but Diallo is a better player in every aspect. I just didn't understand that trade at all. I like what the Pistons are doing a lot. They're getting a lot of these second draft guys like Dennis Smith. And I mean, you couldn't call Diallo that because Diallo was just breaking out of his shell and playing well. But I think it was really smart by Detroit. And I think it was really dumb by Oklahoma City. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Like we started off this. I mean, this Pistons train was going down a real bad path. Like, Again, I mean, we talked about the Bruce Brown trade every other week. I mean, you so you, you basically start off your offseason like that, and then you go sign Jeremy Grant and my, uh, Mason Plumley, who those both looked terrible at the time. Obviously, Jeremy Grant has turned out to be the best scorer in the league outside of Bradley Beal. So, uh, I mean, that was a good move. And But even, even, even though that's worked out, they spent all their money on big men. So it, it was just weird. And then, but I mean, they've, I mean, I liked their draft last year. Getting Diallo is a great start. Um, again, the Dennis Smith Jr. was pretty, it was a, it didn't make too much sense to me at the time, but I mean, you'd rather have a young guy than an old guy. That's what it basically was. You got rid of Derrick Rose, you know, on a team that's trying to lose. So it made sense, but we're not talking about the Pistons. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I just, the Diallo train again, it's like, I mean, I don't like I don't want to sound like I'm so high on him like he's going to be a superstar, but I mean, listen. You got a guy that can dribble and play off the ball as well as he does. I mean, that's a great that's a foundation for being a really good complimentary player in the league. And like whether that means being the fourth best starter on a finals team or being a sixth man somewhere, I mean, either way, like you don't just give a guy like that away, and that's basically what they did. And Hamadou Diallo was like one of their best finishers on the team. <laughs> like, yeah, he plays like a center. Like the dude is, is automatic around the rim despite being, you know, whatever, six, five and skinny. <laughs> I I just didn't understand that trade. Um, let's go ahead. And I do want to talk. I'm not going to say my thoughts about Poku. Cause I feel like I said them a lot on the last episode. Basically the dude is just like a walking cartoon character. How is he seven foot less than 200 pounds? And he's a crazy good passer. I, I just, I love watching that element of his game. He doesn't get the ball stripped from him, even though he's seven foot fucking tall. <laughs> I don't understand how this exists. And in like three years, I'm convinced he could be a max player. <laughs> I think he's, he's got that kind of potential. I well, He moves so smooth for his size. Mm-hmm. Like he does not look, I mean, he really kind of reminds me of Porzingis a lot where he just doesn't look like he's as tall as he is. He just – it doesn't make sense the way he moves. And, I mean, you – you or he caught your eye last time we watched them. He didn't really catch my eye. I was kind of watching other players. But this time I focused in on him because they've – with Shea out, I mean, they're giving him the ball a ton. And he's just like pull-up dribble heaven. Like he's he's going for it. And like a lot of the shots aren't falling. Um, but, I mean, he'll like throw up some – Three point shot from like fifty feet away that you would never think is going to go in, and it does. So like I, I definitely see the potential. He to me has got superstar potential, and I think that he's the guy I would bet on, right? Like 
to hit out of all the guys they have. Like, I don't think Maladon could be anything more than a backup point guard, but I think I like the reps that he's getting in Oklahoma City. Um, but to me, Poku, you just got to try to see. That's just a swing, and if you miss, then oh, well, you that's like your third pick in the first round, and you just missed on it. But if it hits, holy shit. <laughs> you got yourself like a guy. Like, this could end up being one of those things like, oh, my God, people passed on Poku at 17 in a few years. Like, we, we don't know. We just don't know. But I do want to talk about this Al Horford situation a little bit. So, basically, it was mutually agreed upon that um, Horford would sit. And this isn't like the Andre Drummond situation where the Cavs asked him to sit. Um, if you ever want your source of Al Horford information, just go look up his sister, Anna Horford, on Twitter. She is very blunt and honest about her brother and what he has decided to do. And basically, she said it was his idea that he didn't want to play for the Thunder. And it just just leads me to my question, Dylan. Are veterans just never going to play for tanking teams again? Like, are we just going to let the young guys run loose? Like, you talk to all, like, these superstars, right? And what is the one thing they all say they have in common? Oh, we had, you know, good vets on our team, right? Like, oh, I had... Who's a who's a vet? Um, Rodney Rogers, right? I don't know if that's what guys say, but like just like names like that, right? Like if you go back through the superstars of history, they're always like, oh, I had like Bam in 20 years is going to be like, yeah, I had Udonis Haslam on my bench, right? To help me out. He's not going to say the same about Hassan Whiteside, but he's going to say, yeah, I was, I learned a lot from Udonis Haslam. I learned how to be a professional. And like Dylan or just... Are older players just going to be like, nah, fuck this, get me out of here? Because we saw it with J.J. Raddick in New Orleans. We saw it with, I mean, he was injured, so I'm, I'll give him that little bit of a pass. But it just feels like vets, when they don't want to play in a situation anymore, just sit out and the teams are just like, yeah, we'll just let you sit. Rather than making the guys, not making, but just rather than having the guys play out their contracts. Like, what's going on, Dylan Hughes? Do you think a veteran will ever play for a tanking team again? <laughs> Probably not. I mean, it's kind of like just the culture now when you think about it. it. As soon as all this ring chasing started, where, you know, you got a, a guy that like David West, for example. I mean, David West was like the ultimate example of a ring chaser at the end of his career. And I think even Ray Allen kind of was, even though I think he was a little bit better than that. But, I mean, he knew what he was doing when he went to Miami. And... It's just kind of it's kind of what happens now. It's like why why should I play on this shitty team when I'm 34 when I'm I'm like this is the last I've got to give the league. I'm not going to give it to a team that's going to win 20 games. But the thing for Al Horford is like he's not going to take a buyout. I would be surprised. And, and it, that's going to be an interesting thing to watch because does, I mean I think he still has two years after this year. Yeah. And that's what over 60 million that he's going to make 60 to 70. So it's like, I mean, we saw Blake, like Blake Griffin gave up, I think 13 mil Um, a little bit different for him because first of all, he went to Brooklyn. Who's like very likely going to at least be in the finals this year. And also he's young enough where he's going to make that money up. And I mean, he's had more endorsements than, Al Horford ever will like the the money is not going to, is not an issue for him. Al Horford has to like ask himself truthfully, do I want money or do I want to win? And let me just say this because there's a whole Russell Westbrook thing going on that I don't know if we're going to have time today. I really would love to discuss that. 
Let's talk but, about it now then, because I think it's I think it'll bookend really good with this discussion. But can you the Horford point and tie it into the Westbrook point? So what I want to say for Horford is like, and I've changed a lot on this over the years. When I was younger, like when you're young, you're stupid. That's just one of the one of the benefits. You can call yourself stupid when you're older. But I mean, I was definitely a big like you go for rings, you know, when you have the chance. Um, gradually, I've graduated out of that line of thinking where like, you know, you got to understand a lot of these players grow up poor or, or they, if they don't grow up poor, they just don't, they grow up middle-class and the idea of making a hundred million dollars in a career is like that outweighs anything else. And it's understandable. Like money, money is not easy to come by, especially at that level. And if you come from a background where money was not, again, not easy to come by, like chasing that for as long or for as long as you can is very understandable. And listen, it's just not everyone really cares about winning. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think as long as you go out there and play your best, that's all that matters. It doesn't matter what team you sign with for how much money, as long as you go out there and and you feel like you live up to the amount they paid you, that's all that matters. And like a lot of the stuff I've been doing outside of these basketball discussions is, is really working to like kind of show people that your achievements are not everything. And the Russell Westbrook thing really just clicked with that because here's Stephen A is like criticizing Russell Westbrook for not being a title like level player or whatever, not being a champion and kind of blaming him for all of the Thunder's problems and all that. Which, I mean, you know, from from the basketball perspective, sure, that's fine. Um, and Russell Westbrook basically retaliates and it's like, I don't care what you say. Like, I I should never I should have never been here, basically. Like, as soon as I got to the league, that that's I was a champion that day. And I mean, I 100 percent agree with him. And and we you know, we criticize Russell Westbrook for, you know, some of the on the court stuff. But at the end of the day, these are people, right? And if Russell Westbrook never wins a title, you can't say he wasn't successful, right? I mean, that's – and I know Stephen A is doing his job. He's very good at his job. I don't know if, like, on a personal level, he really feels like Russell Westbrook is a failure if he doesn't finish his career as a champion. But, I mean, all that – all that was really interesting to watch. And I'm happy that Westbrook has that mindset because if you look at a lot of athletes, it's kind of sad. Like, think about this. I, I almost look at Tom Brady with like empathy that he feels like he really needs to win this much. <laughs> and I know it's, it may sound stupid, but like how much do you need to win to be happy? And like, again, you know, maybe he's, he doesn't need it. He's just good at it and he gets it. But I don't know. Some of these guys, it kind of worries me from like a human level. It's like, how much do you need to win to be happy? And like, again, to go to another sport, Tiger Woods. I mean, if you watch the Tiger Woods documentary on HBO max, they painted a great picture of what his dad raised him as and how his dad was like, no matter what you do, like you're never enough. <laughs> like you can never win enough. And it's it's really sad that that at that sports kind of goes this way where we just we 
drill down to the numbers of everything. It's like, how many titles did you win? How many stats did you have? How much money do you make? And all that stuff. Um, so, you know, kind of circling back to the Horford thing, it's like, it, it sucks that it is this way because I would, again, what you're talking about with the vets, like I would, he, I mean, we, we've seen this year, like he's been great for that team on the court. As far as mentorship, I can't imagine that he wasn't great as well. Um, and the Andre Iguodala situation last year just bothered me. Like, even with the frame of thinking I have now where, like, I'm, I'm more empathetic for people making the decisions they make. But, like, again, it goes back to the winning thing. Like, Andre Iguodala didn't go there because he wanted to win. He just played in fucking Golden State for five years. Like, they had a great run. And he can't play on a young Grizzlies team that, like, needed some bet leadership. So I, it does kind of bother me that the league is going this way where it's, it's just all focused on winning now. And there's so much more to basketball than that. And I mean, I know these guys grow up winning all the time, but they, they don't reminisce on how many games they won when they were a kid. They, you know, they talk about who they played with and their friends growing up. And it's like some of these guys get to the league now and they just, they care about, they care about winning and that's it. And it's, it's sad to see. When when uh, Trey Young, you know, in twenty years is coming off of a very successful career, do you think he's gonna say Vince Carter being in the locker room with me for the first three years of my career was very helpful? Right, like that's the kind of stuff we're missing out on. Yes, Vince was a different story. Like he was basically used up all his value to a contender, and he was only gonna be playing for a team like that. And that's the reason why he wanted to go to Atlanta rather than going to Golden State and trying to win a ring, right? But because he wanted to actually play, he didn't want to just sit on the bench. But I like look at the Bulls this year, right? What's the reason they've been not as bad as they've been in previous seasons? It's not like before the Vooch trade, and they haven't really been great since the Vooch trade. But you understand where I'm going with this, Dylan. Look at the team they had, Thad Young. Right, it's been in the league for 13 years. Garrett Temple's been in the league for about 10 years. Sadoransky has not been in the league for very long, but he's in his 30s. He knows what he's doing, right? And you have this culture around those three vets, and you play the young guys with them in concert, and that it just works, right? Like vets need to be there. You vets have a practical purpose on a team. And I just, again, I agree with everything you said. I agree with a lot of the stuff you said about the success stuff. I don't really have much to add other than, you know, every person's definition of success is different and we don't know their own definition of success. So we should maybe stop judging them off of those standards, our standards of success when theirs might be different. But I think that vets are just so important in the NBA and we've seen it in like, we saw it in Detroit, right? Plumley, God bless him. Because he's like the only vet they got going right now. Um, I mean, look at New York. How has New York turned it around? They have a bunch of vets on their team, right? Alongside RJ Barrett and Julius Randle. You just you need vets to win at this level. And listen, if they want to go join a contender, that's fine. But I'm not really... I'm just not a fan of the guy not playing out his contract in search of a buyout. Because they wanna, because they're ring chasing. I'm not a fan of that. I I just can't be, because you sign like like it or not, right? You sign a contract. Now let's just say you're 
Blake Griffin, I understood more than others, right? You were promised to be the face of the franchise for the Los Angeles Clippers. You end up in Detroit. You didn't ask to be in Detroit. You know, you got sent there against your will. You're a shell yourself. You take whatever money you can get and you try to recoup whatever value that you can show. And I think Blake is going to do that because, I th- we again, we still think Blake is good. But in general, I don't like the way – I don't like the way front offices are moving and I don't like the way – you know, some vets are moving some being the operative word here because not all of them are doing this. I can't lump them all into one group, but anything else to add Dylan, before we move on to the, uh, to the Charlotte Hornets. Yeah. I want to, one more thing about the vets. Like I'm looking at the Timberwolves roster right now. Cause I just, when we were talking about it, I'm like, you know what? Ever since Taj Gibson left, it's just been a lot worse. It feels like, and Listen to this. The, they have two players on their roster older than 30. Their third oldest player is Jake Lehman at 27. And I'm sorry, no one gives a fuck about what Jake Lehman has to say. Okay? Like, that is not a vet, you know? That's not someone that you go to. And what worries me about these teams that just build uh, teams that are just so so much youth? Because they go strictly for potential, Right. But and me and you can relate to this because we're both like young people that are kind of just entering the job field. And when you have someone older than you that has had success in your field, tell you, hey, you're doing a good job, even though it may not seem like it. That is huge, because if you look at yourself constantly failing, you're going to think you're a failure and you're either going to give up or your like confidence is going to be so shattered that you're just not going to be nearly what you could be. And I'm sorry, but having a coach tell you that you're doing better than you think you are is not the same as having a player. Like, think about those Timberwolves teams that had KG. I mean, when you have KG telling you, hey, like, I know that you shot one for 10 last night. You're not, you're not playing that well right now. But, like, so did I at a point, you know. It, it's, it goes up from here. It's, you're going to be fine. Keep your head up. You, you have someone around that constantly telling you. I'm sure Udonis Haslam does this a ton, too. Um, having someone that can just constantly tell you as a young player, especially if it's like someone that's at your position too, that, Hey, like, I know you're struggling right now, but like, you're young, like this, you're going to figure this out. That's great. But when you're the Timberwolves and you're Anthony Edwards at 19 and you've had like a bad month and yeah, you have a lot of confidence, but still like, it's just not been going well for you lately. Um, and then there's literally no one on that roster they can tell you, they can give you advice. Like, you know, maybe Anthony Edwards doesn't shatter, but maybe the next guy does. Maybe Jarrett Culver does. It's, it's so it worries me that I really think that even though these teams build to have as much potential on the roster, I think that you have to stop that at some point because if you don't have vets around there to teach, you the, the guys that you really want to be good – like the, cause I mean, you can have potential on a roster, but there's really only three or four guys that are going to be really good. And if you don't, if you don't have vets around to teach them, then their ceilings are going to be capped. So it's, I, I just really don't think it's a good way to do business. I'll give you one more example before we move on to the Hornets. There's this guy. He, he was drafted number one by Cleveland. He was, he was sent to Minnesota in a famous trade. Look at Andrew, look at what 60 games with Draymond Green has done for Andrew Wiggins. And it's like, there's one Draymond Green in the league. I know, but look at how well Dray, look at how well Andrew Wiggins is playing this year. He's literally never played this well before in his life. 
He's shooting 47.5% from the field, 39% from three. He's just doing a lot better overall. Like, this is the best Wiggins has looked on both ends in his entire career. And you need, like, Wiggins is in his seventh year, and he's just now figuring it out. Think about the guys that aren't number one picks that don't get those chances, right? Think about those guys that are 20 years old and flame out because, or like 21 or 22, that flame out after their rookie contract. Think about the guys that don't get second chances, like that are second round picks, right? A second round pick with Wiggins. If Wiggins was a second round pick, he would have been out of the league four years ago. And you just need that kind of guidance, right? Like we can't just act like these guys are going to figure it out on their own. Nobody figures it out. Just generally speaking on life, going off of your point, who the fuck has it all figured out at the age of 23? I know I don't. Dylan, do you? No. Exactly. So I think this is like an important, like lost in the acidification of the NBA. And I mean, let's just go back and look at those um, taking Sixers rosters. Jason Richardson played for them, Elton Brand, right? Those teams weren't naive enough to not say, hey, let's just have all young players all the time on our rosters. They had actual vets. So I think it's a it's a good it's a good stepping stone to a team that does have some bets. Um, the Charlotte Hornets. I forgot to say the Thunder record. They're currently in thirteenth in the um, they're thirteenth in the West. And let's go ahead and see what lottery odds they have. They're currently eighth in the lottery order, and they're gonna probably jump Toronto tonight after Toronto beats them. So they should be in the top seven in the lottery order. So let's go ahead and move on to the Charlotte Hornets. They are 24 and 22. Good for fourth in the Eastern Conference, Dylan Hughes. They've had themselves a good week. Um, Coming in, they beat the Spurs before our week, and then they beat the Rockets 122 to 97. They beat the Heat 110 to 105 behind a monstrous Malik Monk performance. They lost to the Phoenix Suns in overtime, the second-ranked Phoenix Suns in the Western Conference. And then they beat the Washington Wizards 114 to 104. And in the spirit of speeding things up, let's just go ahead and get right to the question. Um, Devontae Graham, we talked about this before the show, it's a restricted free agent. He will be restricted free agent this offseason. So Dylan Hughes, um, as you know, the Hornets have a little bit of a guard jam. Obviously, LaMelo Ball didn't play at all this week. He's not going to play at all for probably the rest of the season, I would have to guess. If he comes back, I'll be shocked. But Dylan Hughes, should the Hornets have cash in at, on Devontae Graham? at the trade deadline. It's just, what do you get back? That's always the question to me because, you know, if this is a guy that you think is just going to leave or get too much money, then, you know, you know that ahead of time. So the fact that they didn't move him, I think suggests that they think that they can get him back on a good deal and he's going to have a place. You can say they have a guard log jam, but, having three good guards is not a bad thing. And I mean, these are guys you can rotate in and out. And as we were talking before recording, like Devonte and LaMelo didn't play great together this year, but the thing is they were both bad at different times, kind of like they were never really flowing completely on point at the same time. So to me, I wonder more about that being the issue than them too. But, I mean, they they all have unique skills. And 
they all have something to offer at the end of a game. So it's like, I, I don't think that that's a guy you should just readily get rid of now. One thing, and this kind of pushes into the next question. It's like, I think for them to really move up in the stratosphere of the East, they need, they need a dominant big man. And as much as I love PJ Washington, like I don't look at him as a dominant big man. Like he's, He's a really solid all-around player that that fits in with everyone they have, and he's absolutely a part of their future. But I think he needs someone else next to him that can really score and get their own shot and, and defend the rim. And I'm sorry, I like Cody Zeller, but he's not that guy. Um, so, and it's just the more I think about it, like Miles Turner is just such a perfect fit for them. I. I really think if they got Miles Turner, then they would be like legitimate top four, top five East team every year. Um, and that's a guy you trade Devontae Graham for. But who else is out there that can really do that for you that fits the youth timeline and all that? Because, you know, they could have they could have went at someone like Vucevic, but it's just it didn't make sense for them. And I know they have Gordon Hayward, too, which kind of throws off the timeline a little bit. I mean, you could justify it either way, I think, but, you know, it's – I don't think they should have willingly shopped him, but if there was someone that made more sense with the future, then sure. I, this is the thing, right? So I pulled up the game log for old Devante after um, – basically since the All-Star break because Lamelo went down in that Toronto game and that was their second game back from the um, – from the all-star break. So Devante is Graham is shooting an absolute fireballs right now. He's shooting 45% from the field, which for us, a guard as small as he is, it's pretty good. And then 45% from three on eight attempts a game, basically 80% of his shots are coming from three from pull up three at the end of that Suns game. He was just on fire. He felt like he couldn't miss, right? Even when he was getting fouled in the shot, didn't count. The shots were going down. I think that next to I think it's a, a downgrade from Lamella to Devontae Graham for sure because what I like Devontae's shooting and I like his passing, but I don't like much else from him, admittedly. But I think that he's a good if he's willing to be a backup point guard, I would love that. I just don't know how willing he is. I would imagine after the last two seasons he's had, it's this season has been an obvious step down from last season, but I don't I wouldn't blame him for thinking, you know, I deserve a bag, right? I, I wouldn't blame him at all. You know, like he's, he's averaging 14 and five in 30 minutes a game, which isn't great, but it's not terrible. Right. You could probably get, you know, whatever the max second round, because <laughs> I know it's different for second rounders for than uh, first rounders for restricted free agency contracts, but like he's good. And I wouldn't blame him for wanting to play somewhere else and believing he's a starting point guard. I think if the Clippers could have swung him instead of Rondo, I think that would have been an absolute steal. But what do the Clippers have that the Hornets would want? So it is an interesting question, but I feel like I just feel like you can't keep all three of them going forward because there is at the end of the day, there is only one basketball and Terry and Gordon Hayward are combining for 30 shots a game. Like, it doesn't leave a lot for, like, so LaMelo's at 13. Devontae Graham is at 12. P.J. Washington is just a, tack, a tad below 10. Miles Bridges is at 7.5, which is honestly the perfect amount for him. And then Malik Monk is taking 10 a game. So, 
that's a lot of shots. And you would have to imagine LaMelo's shots would go up in the future as they let him shoot more. So I, I just don't know. Like, on okay, so let's just do this off, off the cuff, right? If LaMelo was healthy right now, rank the guys, you would rank these four guys in order of who you'd want handling the ball most in a tight situation. So Devontae Graham, Gordon Hayward, LaMelo, and Terry Rozier. Hmm. You know, as crazy it is, I think I actually would like Rozier more the most. I feel like he's done a lot of stuff at the end of games. Um, and then probably Hayward just because he's the vet. I mean, he's he's done it. And then Lamelo and Graham. I like the thing is, as much as I do love Graham, he's the third. He's the third best guard. That's what it comes down to. Like you, when I mean, you're gonna have some games where you'd rather have him out there than one of those two guys. But at the at the end of the game, because again, he's just he's a tough shot maker. Like that's that's something that you can't look over. And so, like when you say he's shooting 45 percent from three right now, that's 45 percent on really freaking tough shots. Like he's not a guy that's taking easy pull up shots all game. So that's that's the kind of player he is, and that's the kind of player you want. Um, but Rozier kind of can do that too. So it's like, I don't know there. I, I do think there's, there's a little bit of overkill maybe. Um, and it wouldn't shock me if, you know, if they do a sign and trade or something with him, but again, it's like, I tough shot makers that can pass like him don't come around easily at the same time. So I don't want to just give them away either. Yeah. But Okay. So let's actually go ahead. So the second question I had, which you kind of touched on, is what do the Hornets need to stop from for us to stop considering them as a cute story? And you brought up Miles Turner. So let's just view this through the lens of Miles Turner. Um, whatever <sighs> Miles Turner is probably your best bet, right? So let's just say you sign and trade Devontae Graham to the Pacers and you include. So okay, this is gonna be my question then. If you're trading for Miles Turner, who do you throw in there? Who do you wanna not lose? between these two miles bridgers or pj washington who would you rather trade to the pacers between those two i i would rather give up bridges probably i see i think bridges to me i think pj washington kind of profiles as your typical not typical your new age power forward where i don't know how much he can guard on the perimeter but he's he's not not athletic he's obviously very athletic I just think Miles Bridges is the kind of small ball four you need in today's NBA. Like he kind of profiles as like that big body, right? Because he's huge. Let me pull up the weight real quick. 6'6, 225. And he seems like he's heavier than that, right? It seems that seems small for old Miles. I think that. I, I just don't know. Like, I love PJ's offensive capabilities, but it, he's too streaky for me, too. Like, yeah. he's not consistent at all. Like, that Suns game, he broke a record, or he did something that nobody had done since 1983. And normally I hate these, like, you know, little, oh, this is the first time since 1983, but this is really impressive. He's the first guy to go scoreless, like, on more than 10 field goal attempts who also shot free throws in the game. <laughs> like, that's and he played 44 minutes. Wow. So you need 
And I don't trust Miles Bridges that much more. Or I don't trust PJ Washington. Or I don't trust Miles Bridges that much more than PJ Washington. But I feel like he could be a little more consistent. And that four spot is going to be the tricky spot. Because let's face it. The 3-4 right now is the most important position in the league right now. Like just straight up. Like that's by far the most important position in the league. And the perimeter talent on this team is in droves, right? Like we're not even going to talk about the Martin twins this time, but we both love them. Like they are very set. I'd say they're very set one through three, but big four, I'd probably take Miles Bridges over PJ Washington in terms of perimeter guarding capabilities. I mean, first of all, this is like making me pick between two of my children. I'll just say that. Right. so it's it's not an easy decision either way. I mean, I see what you're saying because I do think Washington is – he can be streaky. But I think part of that may just be who he's playing with. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know how many, how many in-rhythm shots does he get. Like, well, first of all, they play different types. Like, Miles Bridges is kind of – he's, he's more like a Michael Porter Jr. type where he's just kind of taking what he gets. And, yes, he's making great use of that. But a lot of the stuff he's creating on his own, and that's not that's not a bad thing. Like that's actually a very good thing, and that's why he's this has by far been his best season because he's done a really good job with that. But Washington is more of like a. I think you need to make him an option. So I mean that that could that could swing swing it in your favor with this, where it's like. How many how many looks is PJ Washington gonna get with the other guys on that team? Miles Bridges probably would be a little bit better of a fit. Um, I mean, either way, like no matter who you give up between the one of those two, like you're gonna miss something either way. So, and I don't think they're that far apart in talent or production or whatever, where it's like it's gonna be a tough decision, but either way, I think it's I still think you're winning by getting Miles Turner either way. I would have to agree with that. So I have um, Mr. Mr. Washington's game log pulled up. So if you remember a couple of weeks ago on actually about a month ago at this point, he had 42 against the Sacramento Kings, right? Since that game, and this is 13 games, it's not obviously not a huge sample, but it's not insignificant either, I would say. 9.8 points per game, um, 40% from the field. Now he is shooting 38% from three, which is good. But the two-point percentage is alarming there um, for a big guy. And I do, I, I do think Lomelo, those two guys both benefit a lot from playing with Lomelo. But I'd say Bridges benefits more. And that, that's another reason I would lean Bridges. Because, first of all, the Bridges, the Bridges ball alley-oops are dy- dynamic beyond all hell. But I think that it's just tough, man, because they're both incredibly talented, but they're both very flawed. If they were one player, superstar. Oh, but yeah. I I just can't trust either of them, Dylan. I, I just, I want to. I love them both, but I don't know. Maybe run write it out another year because Miles has a few years left on his contract, doesn't he? Like, probably. So let's see. He would have. He's probably got two years left on his contract, so. I mean, you try to make a run at it on Miles' final year of the contract, but I don't think you can take this team seriously until they have an upgrade from either Zeller or Biombo. And then I feel like Zeller's barely played 
in the games that I've watched. I feel like Zeller's just out of the rotation almost at this point, which is crazy. But Zeller's getting old up there in years at this point, and um, fuck IU, Dylan Hughes. Um, <laughs> it's, I love. It's a tough situation for sure for the Hornets. But anything else to add before we move on to the uh, Nuggets? No, I mean I, I'm just interested to see what they do because again, like I don't want to say they're one piece away, but they're one piece away from being like really interesting. So whether that's in free agency, a trade, or the draft, uh, it's it's going to be interesting for sure. This would be an interesting team to just like try to lose the rest of your games. Obviously, they're not going to do that because they're in the fourth seed. <laughs> but if you end up like, let's just say they go on like some massive losing streak for whatever reason, which again, I don't think that will happen, but let's just say hypothetically it does. And you end up with like a top four pick <laughs> and you draft uh, or you end up with like a top seven pick, let's just even say you draft some big man. It would be probably beneficial in the long run, but I don't blame them for going for it. They're the Hornets. They haven't had any excite, like genuine excitement in a good while. So the Denver Nuggets, let's go ahead and move on. They are 28 and 19 or 29 and 18, excuse me. And they are about a game behind the Los Angeles Lakers. So they will be fourth in the Western conference very soon. Unless Andre Drummond comes in and averages 30 and 30 a game. We didn't talk about Andre Drummond, but I don't feel like I don't really want to, to be honest with you. Um, they like the Nuggets. The Nuggets had a pretty good week. So they lost to the Raptors 111 to 135 last Wednesday. Um, in the game before Kyle Lowry thought he was getting traded. Kyle Lowry in that game, let me let me pull up the box score. We were talking about Lowry earlier. I think he only scored like nine points, or he scored eight points. Do you want to guess what the plus minus was for Kyle Lowry in that game without looking? 13. <laughs> plus 42. Okay, yeah. Sounds about right. <laughs> I mean... That game was crazy. I totally forgot that game happened. Um, but then they played the New Orleans Pelicans on Friday, beat them 113 to 108. And one of the very, most entertaining games we've had in a while, I would say. Um, they beat the Atlanta Hawks 126 to 102, integrating Aaron Gordon. And then last night, they beat the Embiidless Philadelphia 76ers 104 to 95. So I'll just go ahead and start because we had talked about the deadline before um, we moved on to our teams. So it feels good to pick back up there after the Denver segment. And they obviously picked up Aaron Corden and JaVale McGee. So how do you, let's just start with the first question. I'll have a couple of questions. How did you feel about the moves for Denver? I mean, it's exactly what they need to do. Like we've, we've been talking about Bradley Beal this whole time. It was not going to happen. So the second best thing was Aaron Gordon. I mean, I think that was another guy we talked about before. <clears throat> I mean, it's just they needed a four. Like, they lost Jeremy Grant. The The situation at four was just not very reliable. And, I mean, you're at a point with Gary Harris where it's just – it's done. Like, they just had to move on from that. And, I mean, I, I really think it was like a – there's basically no risk in this deal for them. Because, again, Gary Harris just not getting done anymore – RJ Hampton, I'm interested in, but it's a guy that you're going to have to wait years on. Um, and then a first round pick, you know, it's like that that's a really good deal. I think for both sides, maybe, I mean, Orlando had to move on from Gordon. So to get a pick, a young guy and a good starter, I think that was a good move for them. But 
I mean, Aaron Gordon, I think is awesome. And, and watching the two games that he's played, I, I absolutely love what they can be on both sides of the floor because they have so much length now. Like you have Will Barton at the two who, I mean, he, he's played a lot of three. So he's, you're kind of moving him down a spot. I mean, obviously MPJ is massive as a three. And then you got Aaron Gordon and Jokic. Like there's, so defensively, as bad as MPJ is on defense, like he's got long arms. And when you, the more long arms you have, the tougher it is for people to pass on you, even if you're terrible at everything else. Um, and you've, you've already seen it. Like they are very active uh, in kind of moving around and positioning themselves the right way to, you know, get steals and run. And, and I mean, on the flip side, like transition, you got MPJ, awesome off ball player, Aaron Gordon, awesome off ball player who has gotten a lot better on the ball and watching him reminded me a lot of Jeremy Grant last year. Like the steps that we've seen with Jeremy Grant turning from just a complete off ball player to basically just a defensive player that had to play offense. He turned himself into an awesome scorer. And we started seeing flashes of that last year and they've basically refilled that role with, with Gordon um, so they just have a ton here and, and seeing MPJ recently, I mean, man, like we keep flickering back and forth, but it, it's hard to not drink the Kool-Aid with this dude. Cause I'm like him and Jokic together are just magical at times. And when you force MPJ to do his own thing, that's where the problems start to arise. But if you're giving him, you know, good looks off of cuts or open corner threes, I mean, he's awesome, and I'm just really excited about them, and I'm excited to talk about where they rank in the West because I, I think this move really gives them a good shot in the West. That's interesting. I will say, first of all, interesting little wrinkle for the week, Don Hughes. I didn't watch all four of the games. I only caught two of them because I've been very busy. I, I've been having to keep up with the uh, games because I will be doing the Final Four this weekend, so shout out shout out to Malcolm Moran. So I had to keep an eye on the Elite Eight game. So I didn't have much time for the NBA, but I made as much time as I could, goddammit. And uh, I don't think Michael Porter Jr. is a scrub on defense anymore. I think his defense has really like gotten better over the course of the last calendar year. And I didn't think I was going to say that. I'm really glad I'm wrong. I'm really glad I'm wrong because I didn't want him to suck on defense. And I don't think he's great, <laughs> right? But if teams aren't going to target him in the pick and roll, like if he's not going to, you know, he still falls for a shitty pump fake sometimes. I mean, that happens, right? He's he's only 22, and this is really only his second year in the league. So I'm cutting him a lot of slack, obviously. But I think MPJ's defense has gotten a lot better. And plus, having Aaron Gordon there takes a lot of the burden off of him, right? Now, the Clippers are going to present an interesting matchup for sure because I don't know who guards Paul George because you're obviously sticking Gordon on Kawhi. But I'll be interested to see that matchup if Paul George is even healthy. We don't know if Paul George is going to be healthy yet. That's a big if. He hasn't played in a good while, it feels like. Um and Aaron Gordon, man, there's going to be a lot of magical dunks <laughs> once Jokic figures out where to put the alley-oops. <laughs> and we kind of salivated this over this before, right? Like, I feel like Aaron Gordon to Denver has been theorized a lot. 
And I'm so glad it's happened because he fits there like a glove, right? He doesn't have to do any of the shit he had to do in Orlando. Exactly. He's able to cut. Like the cuts are just exquisite. And obviously if you cut, Jokic is going to find you. So now you have two very elite cutting threats, right? You have Jokic. And then you have the threat of a Jokic Gordon pick and roll, which they busted out a couple of times in the Hawks game. I didn't see the Sixers game, so I didn't, I don't know if they busted it out there at all, Dylan, but um, I mean that, that Jokic Gordon pick and roll is just frankly unstoppable. And I mean, don't be surprised if his assists bump up to nine at this point of the season, because he is just doing it all. Jokic is just doing it all for this team. And we're not, we're going to avoid the MVP conversation because I don't feel like having it, even though it's, slowly slowly inching towards the time where it will be relevant to have the conversation i'll say this i'll say this whoever finishes with home court advantage between the trailblazers and the nuggets or whoever finishes higher in the standings that that'll be who wins mvp because Embiid is gonna have missed too much time he already missed some games before and then lebron's gonna have missed too much time so It'll either be Jokic or Lillard. I think that's pretty safe to say at this point. And um, yeah, I feel like, okay, let's go ahead and move on to the last question in this question because I asked two questions in this question. But would you rather have last year's Jeremy Grant? Obviously not this year's Jeremy Grant because <laughs> he wouldn't be doing what he's doing this year in Denver. And Mason Plumley, or would you rather have this year's Aaron Gordon and JaVale McGee? Yeah, it's interesting because, I mean, you could look at last year's team and be like, well, they almost made the finals with those two guys. But, man, like, I seriously don't think that they're that far away from being the same kind of team with this roster. And, I mean, you just talked about Jokic and the two cutters, but, like, we we haven't even talked much about Murray. I mean, this that's a complete X factor to just cracking everything else wide open. I mean, even if he's just dropping 25 a night, which we know he's he's going to do more than that some nights in the playoffs. Like, we saw it last year. I mean, he's, he's going to get hot. And, again, he's going to have his cold games. But I think this move allows them to kind of take that impact a little bit easier. Because if, if Murray's not on, you still have really easy offensive options elsewhere. So that's, that's the great hedge that they kind of made on their own – roster is if Murray sucks, you got more options. But I mean, I honestly think I'd rather have Gordon and McGee. Um, like the thing I worry about with their bench, I guess if you have Monte Morris healthy, it's not as big of a deal, but I, I do worry about creation a little bit. And that was one thing that you could go to Plumley for. I mean, listen, Plumley wasn't like getting eight assists a game, but he is that type of guy. He could, I mean, he did it with Portland a lot more than Denver. But, you know, it's – and the thing about McGee is – I mean, McGee was really good for the Lakers last year, like really good. I, I think he kind of got overshadowed by Dwight Howard being as good as he was. And, and McGee was good with the Warriors before that too. Like he's he's been a really solid, you know, fill-in big for a while now. Um, so I I think I would take the, the current duo, and it's probably more to do with Gordon because – Jeremy Grant was good last year and he had games where he definitely saved them. I mean, there were times where he was like their offensive creator, but I, I think I trust Gordon a little bit more to be that guy consistently and defensively too. And not that Jeremy Grant's a bad defender. I think he's gotten worse over the year. I think 
I said his offense has gotten better, his defense has gotten worse, which is kind of just a natural thing. But I, I think I trust Gordon a little bit more on both ends for uh, – and I probably would rather have Plumley than McGee, but it's not that big of a difference to make up for. So I will say, Dylan Hughes, um, you brought up the playmaking that Plumley brings, which is fair. But also, Monte Morris and JaVale McGee pick and rolls will be very, very productive, I have to say. I think yes. that, that'll... Because Morris doesn't get to do that a lot. Morris is kind of more of a natural point guard, which we haven't seen... We don't usually see alongside Jokic. And I want to see the pick and roll there. I want to see if, you know... That'll unlock some of the bench shooting, which we know this team isn't really that great of a shooting team. But I mean, if you throw Barton on the wings, hell, you could do a Barton, a Barton McGee pick and roll, right? Get Barton some easy offense or not easy, but easier, right? I think this unlocks a lot more combinations than the thing than the team had last year because, and obviously Porter Jr.'s and Murray's, I think Murray's actually playing a lot better. Like he's playing a lot closer to the playoffs than we realize. It's just not as flashy because he's not averaging 25. He's only averaging 21, but Murray's been playing great this year. Like I think we're done questioning Jamal Murray's consistency. He's averaging 21 a game on 48% from the field and 41% from three. I think I'm almost, I need to see it again next year, but even if he does like 47% from the field and 43, 40 from three next year, I think I'll be fine with what he can bring you. But I think that JaVale just unlocks something. And plus they give, it gives them a defensive athleticism under the paint. They haven't had in forever. Like Hardenstein was okay, but he just, I didn't think he was ever good enough to field as a backup center for a contender. Like I, I just didn't make any sense for me. So I'll be curious to see. Cause like, I feel like you could feel the lineup with like Morris um, Barton, uh, PJ Dozier, Jamichael Green and JaVale McGee. And that could have enough space where you could run a reasonable pick and roll. But let's go ahead and move on to the big question for the for the night. And this is really the biggest question probably of the season. So obviously we think the Nuggets moves helped improve their odds for a championship. But rank your top five or six teams if you want to throw, you know, all six of the teams in there um, that are at the top. Rank your top teams in the Western Conference, if, assuming full health. For all the teams. So I'm giving the Lakers one and then I'm putting Denver too. I just, I mean, Jokic, like Jokic is obviously the, the main guy, but like you look at all these other teams and there's just too many flaws for them to, for me to put them over Denver. I mean, Denver, I think is solidified it too now. And then I think after that, I'm actually going to go Portland. Mm. Because, you know, Portland has all these health issues, but I I kind of think they may have gotten them out of the way. A lot of the health issues seem to hit them in the playoffs, right? Like the past two years, Nurkic, McCollum, Dame last year, like they, they get hit in the playoffs. And obviously they the same thing could happen this year. But they've suffered so much this year. I just wonder if if maybe there's something kind of – Finally, maybe they're getting some good luck, some good karma come back. Um, so hinging on that, and obviously this is a health discuss. We're we're throwing health out anyway, but I just, I mean, seriously, getting Norm Powell on that team is an awesome move. I just, I love the Portland. They do something every single year to get better, and I love that move for them. Even though giving up Gary Trent sucks, 
But I mean, Powell is a better player. Like it's just, it's an easy move. After that, I mean, I'd say the Clippers after that. Um, after that, it gets it gets sketchy because you're choosing I just, between I'm, the top two seeds. <laughs> yeah, I know it's it's funny how it works like that, but um, I just I I just don't trust the Jazz. I don't know what it is. I I just don't trust them and. I mean, it's funny because, like, last year they played their ass off while being very injured. So, I mean, we completely wrote them them off last year, and then they ended up pushing Denver to seven. And, like, they're better this year, but I just don't know. I mean, when your two best players are are a center that doesn't really create us on offense, and then Donovan Mitchell, who, again, was very good last year, but if you look at the playoffs before that, sucked – I mean, he was awful in the playoffs before last year. So it's like, I need to see it twice in a row. I, I need, I, I can't trust it until I see it again. So I don't know if I trust that. So I, I probably would go Phoenix into the Jazz. But I will say that I still, I still have belief in Dallas. And if you ask me this question in like a month, I may try to mix Dallas in there somewhere. It's very typical of you, Dylan Hughes. You do love the Dallas Mavericks. So, okay, let me go ahead and read my order. So I had the same top two, but after two is where we deviate. So um, if you need a reminder of what Dylan said five minutes ago, Lakers, then Nuggets. All right. Then I go Clippers three. I think of all the flawed teams, they're the least flawed, if that makes sense. And I don't know how I feel about this Rondo acquisition. But I think having him instead of Lou Will could end up being of some benefit to them. I do think that, listen, I just, you know, I'm not a Lou Will guy this year. I love watching him play. He's one of the most entertaining guys in the league, but I think no Traz really hurts him. I think not having Traz, maybe, you know, having Capella and Collins and Atlanta will help him. Maybe he'll turn something out of Okongwu. But I think Rondo kind of fixes the hole like if you're fixing a leak you kind of put half you've kind of half covered the leak if that makes sense with rondo and because rondo wasn't that great in last year's playoffs but he was also a lot better than we expected him to be the problem is he's 36 i don't know how much he can keep how much longer he can keep this up it's a it's a reasonable concern but I still trust the Clippers more than I trust the rest of these teams, even though they choked like dogs in last year's playoffs. Then I have the Suns fourth. I think the Suns, I think Chris Paul and Jay Crowder make up for their lack of inexperience because those guys, those guys are so good for that team. Watching that Suns, like just watching any Suns game this year, Jay Crowder is just the best at swinging the ball exactly where it needs to go. Like he's so underrated at that. Like him and like just veterans like that, right? Like going back to our veterans discussion. He shoots it when he's open and he gets the ball where he needs to. And honestly, I don't know what more you can ask for from a player than that. So I really like Phoenix's odds a lot more. I have the Jazz five. And the reason I have Portland six, Dylan Hughes, and this is a temporary six, because if they can fix what I'm going to say, then I will move them back up. Their defense has been atrocious this year. I think I heard someone say that if it wasn't for Sacramento, They'd have the worst defense of all time. And listen, Nurkic coming back will fix a lot of those problems. But if they're like still the 20th best defense in the league when he's healthy, 
Because they have two elite health side defenders in Nurkic and Covington, right? So if you draw the Jazz, odds are you'll be fine. Because I think Norm can hang with Donovan Mitchell, right? And then I think, you know, but I, I don't think they can beat the Nuggets. I don't think they can beat the Lakers. And they're going to get absolutely eaten alive if they play the Clippers. That's my problem with the with the Trailblazers is the matchup issues. Their biggest hole is still their biggest hole, which is a guy like, I mean, yes, obviously no one has a guy that can guard LeBron, but having a guy that can guard LeBron without you having to send a double team over being able to hang enough. Right. And this is where the nuggets benefit most from that Aaron Gordon trade is they're going to have a guy that can cover LeBron without needing to send the help defender which is always the biggest issue with LeBron, because if you send a help defender, what's going to happen? Cross-court fat, cross-court, cross-court pass, that was tough for me to say, right across your face into the hands of a wide-open KCP or wide-open Dennis Schroeder. So I think that I want to trust the Trailblazers. Trust me. I, I love this Trailblazers team. I want Melo to make the finals, okay? I, I just don't think, I don't think they can. Well, you're not believing hard enough. That's your problem. I want to believe. I just, I can only believe what's in front of my eyes, Dylan Hughes. And what's in front of my eyes is a team that regularly gives up 120 points a game. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the, there's been so much defensive pressure on Covington this year. It's like when you, when you put, when you have one good defender and he has to do everything, it's never going to go well. Um, So yeah, I do think getting Nurkic back. And again, they've, Collins has been out too. So like it's two guys down though that can actually defend are just gone. And Collins, I don't think is coming back, but Nurkic is back now. So I, I think taking Enos Canner out of the fold a little bit will help help a little bit with that. Um, but I mean, yeah, this this Portland team being bad at defense is not new. Like they were bad last year too. And obviously they've made some acquisitions that'll change that, but yeah, I just it, it, it always comes back to Dame for me. Dame solves these problems and he hasn't solved them enough for them to make the finals, but he's he always gets them way more than than they deserve. So that's that's kind of what I fall back on with them. Yeah, uh, but I I would trust their defense still in, but okay. Do you okay, we're I have their clean the glass page pulled up. Their offensive efficiency is 118.1. All right. Would you like to guess their point differential? <laughs> um, probably two or three. Point negative three or negative oh. point three. I thought, see, I thought the Kings were actually a little bit better than that. So that's the King's fault for that guess. <laughs> they, so their offensive efficiency is 118 points. 118.1 points per 100 and the defense is 118.4 points per 100 it's it's just a tire fire and i like Get trust me games over 500 <laughs> their win differential not coincidentally is first in the league yeah <laughs> they should be 20 they should be 22 23 and 25 right now so which puts them out of the playoffs <laughs> right exactly so all props to Damian Lillard because this doesn't happen without him he's literally put them on their back this year which is why him or Jokic is going to win MVP depending on who's the higher seed because 
they've literally carried their teams more than anyone else has. Like other than LeBron with the Lakers, they've carried the teams more than anyone else has. So, um, yeah. Uh, any other stray nuggets? Any PJ Dozier thoughts before we move on? Before we end the podcast, Dylan Hughes? Um, no. I mean, the bench is fascinating to me because, like, first of all, Jamichael Green somehow had like 30 points the other night or he went off from three. He hit like seven, three. I think he was like seven of 10 from three. It was, it was funny to discover that. So it's like this, the bench is fascinating. Like Monte Morris not being out there sucks. I'm just so done with Compazzo. Like, I don't think I've ever seen him do a good thing. I mean, maybe a handful, like he makes some interesting passes, but like, I don't think I've ever seen him make a three. I just, I'm done with that. And as soon as Morris gets back, hopefully that's over. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think Paul Millsap has actually been better than last year. Maybe it's because there's just not as much pressure on him now. But, I mean, last year he was just missing every three he took. It hasn't been that bad this year. And he's still a good defender. So, you know, I, I mean, I think the bench is good enough, like, to pair with this. Because, again, when you get to the playoffs, it's like just throw eight guys out there, you're fine. So, I don't – as far as P.J. Dozer uh, – I mean, he can make shots. Like, he's a decent off-ball player. He just doesn't pass really much. But, um, Who needs you know. to pass and he can just shoot it every time? It's a great point. It's a great point. <laughs> I actually really like the front court combinations that the Nuggets have because you could play Jermichael Green at center. You could play Millsap at center. You could play Aaron Gordon at center. Obviously, you want your center out there for majority of the game. But for, like, the last couple of weeks of the season, you could cut Jokic's minutes to, like, 33 game right try to obviously Jokic is just a physical marvel the likes of which we've never seen and I'm like I'm not saying that in a joking manner because this dude can just play for fucking ever yeah <laughs> like this man it just has stamina figured out like I don't know how he does it just plays in all the fucking games he has to have some injuries right like he can't go through an 82 game season year after year and not have some injuries right like let's just go through the games he's played through the years so 80 73 75 80 73 last year 47 this year which is all the games the man just doesn't get hurt he's just a physical like he's never like and he starts off a lot of these seasons not in shape either so you would think that would compound the problem, but it just doesn't. <laughs> I, it's just a physical marvel, but I really like Jamichael, like the defensive front court they could throw out there alongside Jokic is really intriguing, right? Because now they went from having only Millsap to having Millsap, Gordon, and Green. And say what you will about Jamichael Green, but Jamichael Green was really good in last year's playoffs. Jamichael Green is a good NBA player. And I, I'm really intrigued to see what they can pull off in the playoffs defensively. It'll be a lot better than last year for sure. And they made the conference finals last year. So, um, all right. I think we're done from one young soul to another go by the book or I'll menacingly place brass knuckles on your porch. Make you think somebody's after you, you know, it's like $5, man, $5 cup of coffee. It's ridiculous, man. Hey, you know, I actually had a sale the other day for the first time in like a month and a half. Um, I'm going to go ahead and give you the credit. Okay. I mean, I've been putting a lot of stuff out lately and been linking it and maybe that was it. But I think, I think you're threatening is finally wearing people down. You know, listen, man, I'm just sick of it. It's $5. Buy the goddamn book. 
It's just it's ridiculous, Dylan Hughes. It's ridiculous. Um, your YouTube channel is becoming more and more prolific by the day. I believe that's Life with Dylan, isn't it? Yes. And um, the newsletter Dylan Hughes is slowing down, but that's not that's not the biggest news of this of this plugging for you, Dylan Hughes. Um, Divine Rhyme. I heard I heard through the grapevine <laughs> that <laughs> uh, that's going to be recording an episode sometime soon. Yes, we shall be in the airwaves quite soon with some uh, some very very good content and. You know, if, if you only listen to this podcast, very different. But if you listen to some of the other stuff I do, there's going to be some relations. So I'm I'm really looking forward to it. What do you guys do in your first episode on? I, did, I didn't hear that. So I'm, I was waiting for the pod. So our we're doing we're kind of doing like artists by month. And mm. our first month is going to be J. Cole. So this first episode is going to be some of the earlier J. Cole stuff. So. We're getting some foundational J. Cole in here. I mean, you can't miss out on that. Listen, that's a great choice for your first artist. So um, go check out Divine Rhyme um, Battleground. So last week was kind of the battleground because we kind of combined. JD and Zach came on. Bryce was busy with other obligations. So we just filled in Caleb in his stead. And that went two hours. And I did not anticipate it going two hours, but it was it was fun. And we had a very important call out corner about um, how the NCAA was treating their women's players, their women players, which is not, it's not I'm sure you saw the videos, Dylan Hughes of the gym situations and in, uh, in the NCAA women's locker room or the weight room. Not great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to be honest, can you expect the NCAA to do anything right at this point? No. No, I cannot. Surprise! Any NCAA controversy? I'm like, yeah, that's par for the course. It's it's like if the NFL says something fucked up, it's like, oh, really? It, has it only been you know our entire lifetime of them doing that? I don't know why you're surprised at this point. Uh, I could not agree more. Um, Lynn Sanity, that'll be out with the episode the same time that we are. They're going to be reviewing the uh, Sweet 16 and Elite Eight, and Caleb is going to be in shambles. The Conference of Champions. I'm not going to try to do a Bill Walton impression because my voice is fried, but you're going to want to check that out because Caleb is going to be pissed. He doesn't hate UCLA. like he, our, our group chat, he was admittedly you know, going a little over the top, but he does not like UCLA. He does not like the Pac-12. So that'll, that'll be a great listen. Um, Conference of Champions. Shout out to Bill Walton again. You know, uh, if you have time, go look up what he said about Boris Diaw. It's one of the most incredible pieces of NBA content that exists in the world. Um, Circle City Cinema. So Zach will be doing the favorite movie series. I'm up next with Goodwill Hunting, and then Dylan Hughes will be up after me. I think I believe you need to get back to Zach on which movie you would like to choose. So that's me. Me giving you a little nudge there. Um, Triple Option Pass will be back soon. Draft season is upon us, and we are convening. We're going to have them convene for draft coverage and a lot of stuff going on. Dylan, have you have you heard about this Kyle Pitts guy? Have you heard just have you heard about Kyle Pitts? I have. The fact that he's like being thrown up there with the quarterbacks makes me think he's probably pretty good. He ran a he. Okay, so he's basically. Draymond Green's dimensions, right? He's like 6'6", 250 with like a seven foot wingspan, right? Did you see what his 40 was? He ran a he ran a 4440 at 6'6", 250. 44. <laughs> four. Okay. 
Yep. So basically you have like a massive catch radius. He's going to be just dumb. He's going to go in the top 10. He's going to dominate the league. So I can't wait to hear what they have to say about him. Um, And then I think that's, I think I plugged everything. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I plugged everything. If not, you know, just get back to me. I'll remember next time. So Dylan Hughes, once again, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you.